This land is your land, and this land is my land. From California to the New York Island, from the redwood forest to the Gulf Stream waters, this land was made for you and me. This is Rumble, and I am Michael Moore, and welcome everyone uh, to my podcast today. And I am. Um, very honored to have as my guest uh, the incredible uh, author, uh, thinker, uh, and activist um, uh, Thomas Frank. I don't know if he would agree with the word activist. We'll find out. But, but I, I think anybody who writes the truth these days uh, is, is performing the Lord's work. So for that, I'm I'm very grateful. I'm grateful to all of you listening today. We've got a lot going on. We say that every week, but obviously. Nothing really does change up uh, too much on, on that end. And But thank you. Thank you to all of you, too, who passed on the last podcast, episode uh, 142, which I recorded as a sort of a, a love letter in, uh, in sense. I, 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 probably the mega people and the people on the right don't want me loving them. But I wrote it that way because I, I want, want them to live. I don't want them to die because they've been lied to about masks and, and coronaviruses and hoaxes and all this other stuff. So if you have a chance, um, if you have, uh, you know, your brother-in-law, you know who he is, right? You have a conservative in the family. Um, uh, maybe it's your uncle. Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's your son. Maybe it's your dad. Maybe it's your grandfather. I'm sorry. These are all male gender. Yeah, well, uh, there, will, there are some women who um, also are with that. But I'm just saying I would really love for you to share that podcast and you'll have to kind of warn them. I know it's Michael Moore and they're going to start to have that little bit of throw up in the mouth uh, when they hear my name, but just say to them, no dude, he's really, he has done a podcast for you and it's not mean or sarcastic or anything. He, you should hear this. He actually, he wants you to live. He doesn't want you to get sick. Um, and he tells you why that you need to stick around because we're not done with the great debate yet. And, um, and, and we're not going to have that debate if you're dead or if you're incapacitated for any number of weeks or months. Uh, we need, we need to have that. And, and he, and he says to you very quite clearly, don't leave, don't die because if, if hundreds of thousands of you die, you know, you're just going to help us win the next election. Don't help us do that. We want to win it fair and square. We don't want to do win it because you can't go to the polls because you're six feet under. Uh, you, you know, Michael asks you to please you know, stick around. Plus, if plus he points out, if you're not around, uh, you know, who's going to be left to kick his ass? So <laughs> for that reason alone, stay alive. Anyways, you please share this with the conservatives, right wingers, Republicans uh, in your family. And I and I tell them, too, that I know that they're not stupid. They are smart and they know what's what. And they and they in the next few months are going to see. Family members get sick. Some are going to die. They're not going to want that to happen. And I don't want it to happen. Um, so please share that episode 142 with um, the various Republicans in your family. And maybe nine out of ten won't listen to it, but that one will listen to it. And then um, he'll see that maybe he and I have political disagreements. We voted for different people. Uh, but we're all Americans. And we're not a better country with him dead. Um, so, um, 
please share that if you can. That was the last episode uh, that we posted, I think, on Monday or uh, or yesterday. Um, but today, today on this wonderful day, I have wanted to have Thomas Frank on this podcast since we began almost a year ago. Thomas Frank, as many of you know, has been one of our most important writers and thinkers for many years. His classic 2004 book, What's the Matter with Kansas, quickly became an important work on how the conservative movement and the Republican Party used used the culture wars and anti-elitist rhetoric to scam otherwise well-intentioned and good-meaning voters while continuing to strengthen the ruling elite and screw over the working class. His 2016 book uh, is is an absolute must-read. It's called, Listen, Liberal. Well, it's not in cap letters. I didn't mean to scream it out like that. <laughs> but it's, that's how I read it. Uh, because this is a really important book for all of us to read. Especially all of us on what we'll call this side of the fence. It's called, Listen, Liberal. Or, Whatever Happened to the Party of the People? We're talking about our party. We're talking about the FDR party, you know, the Democratic Party. Um, and this book, Listen Liberal, it explores that very question. How has American liberalism failed to prevent the massive inequality over the past few decades? And how has the Democratic Party gone from being the party of labor, of working people, working families, to the party of the what we now call the professional managerial class. This, this, I'm telling you folks, this is such an important work. I put it right up there with what's the matter uh, with Kansas. If you haven't uh, read it, uh, it's a, it's a fun and breezy read, but also it's, it's a bit of a knife in the heart in the sense that we know that we've got to fix this or we're never going to see the real fundamental changes in our, in our lifetime. Uh, Thomas's most uh, recent book explores the concept of populism and shows that democratic people-powered movements are actually a good thing. Now, Trump has given this word a really bad connotation because of all of his fakery and tomfoolery with it, but but actually the idea of populism that goes back into the 19th century and, and certainly in the early 20th century, I mean, I know my history of the city I grew up in where General Motors was founded in Flint, Michigan in 1908. And by 1909, the people were like, holy shit. This is like this corporation has come in and they've taken over the town. They've taken over the daily paper. They've taken over everything. And it was pretty brutal. And so in the next election uh, for mayor in 1911, a socialist ran and won. He won and and he immediately instituted all these changes to protect the people of Flint from this new and behemoth uh, corporation called General Motors. Well, GM was like, holy shit themselves now. How are we ever, you know, we're just starting here and now we've got a socialist running Flint, Michigan. What are we going to do? And they said, you know, we got to do it. They turned to one of the founders of General Motors and said, you got to run for Mayor Flint. And he goes, I'm the fucking founder of General Motors, you know, here with, with Billy Durant and these other two. <laughs> Why I got to be the mayor of Flint? Yes, because if we, if, if the socialists are going to rule the day here, uh, we're going to have a lot of trouble. So they ran Charles Stuart Mott, um, 
who I think was officially the vice president of General Motors at the time for mayor. In the next election, they got the local paper, the Flint Journal, uh, to start running all these scandalous stories and all the socialist mayor having, you know, drinking alcohol and having sex with women and, you know, all, everything they could do to, they just ran story after story and they got, they got Charles Stewart Mott elected. And that was the end of the people having much say in Flint, Michigan for a very, very long time. So, so the idea of populism was, and still is a great idea. And this book, oh, by the way, I didn't mention the name of the book. It's called The People Know. Um, it's So you heard the comment in there, right? The People, comma, no. Um, and it, it traces uh, this history of the positive populist movements in America and the attacks on populism today, thanks in large part to DJT. Um, well, <clears throat> anyways. Oh, can I also point out that Thomas Frank uh, founded one of my favorite magazines. It's called The Baffler. And if you have a chance uh, to pick this up, it, it used, I think it was, uh, he'll tell us, it'll, I think he started it in, in Chicago and then it's, uh, it's moved to New York, but it's got, um, wonderful writers and, and, and there's satire and there's stories about things you're never going to read, uh, anyplace else. And the commentary is both hilarious and, uh, horrifying. And uh, so I encourage you, if you've never heard of The Baffler, uh, just p- pick up a copy or go online. I'm, I'm sure they let you get one copy or something for free or whatever. I don't know. I'm just saying that. But uh, I'll put the link on my uh, podcast page here so you can uh, can check out the, the Baffler, this wonderful magazine that Thomas Frank founded. And with no further ado, I am very happy. <laughs> Thank you for putting up with that long introduction and, and my slide into Socialist Flint of 1910. Uh, uh, please welcome one of the good guys, the really good guys, Thomas Frank here to Rumble. Thomas, welcome. Uh, Michael Moore. Thank you. So, that was a, that was really nice of you to introduce me that way. And uh, I liked your story about Flint and it's the socialist mayor. That's a, uh, that is that is exactly the kind of story that I tell in this in this new book, and you know Kansas actually had after the populists had uh, the populist party the uppercase P populist party mm-hmm. was this third radical third party movement it's an actual party that's right yeah, that's right and uh, but after they had died a, a lot of their leaders uh, became socialists like Eugene Debs had been a had been a populist and and became a, a socialist and in fact they're leading newspaper in Kansas became a socialist paper. It was called the appeal to reason. And it eventually it, it had like um, hundreds of thousands of subscribers. It was quite an incredible thing. And they put it out from this tiny town down in Southeastern Kansas. Anyhow, I think maybe correct me if I'm wrong. I read at one time that, that in the early 1900s, there were a thousand or more, actually elected officials, whether they were mayors, city council members, so, who were all socialists or populists in that form. Oh, yeah, there's there easily there's that lot. many populists. Yeah. there. Uh, yeah. And then uh, socialists, I don't know, but there were, uh, so states like Oklahoma had, uh, it, it's really strange now because we think of socialism as, you know, something that college students are into, but it was dirt farmers in Oklahoma were there. That was the, where they performed best. <laughs> you know Woody, Woody Guthrie land right, right? exactly and yeah. Will Rogers right yeah. Yeah. Oklahoma was that's right that is well anyways so one of the first I just want to just back up a second here because just to have you on uh for the first time here 
on Rumble. Uh, to, I just, I, I kind of want to, I wish we could pop a, 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 cham, a champagne bottle or two here because I, I just got to say to you, I mean, I mean, wow. Woohoo. You know, <laughs> I, 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 and I read, I, I did read the article, but I read the headline of something. I was in the Guardian or something that you wrote called Ding Dong, the witch is dead or the jerk is dead or whatever. The, the jerk is gone. The jerk yeah. is gone. And, and I thought, yes, yes, we're free. Everything's <laughs> fine now. Everything's going to be good. Everything's going to be so, and, and you know, so many people are feeling this way. So Thomas Frank, please tell us just how great, how great it's going to be now. Come on. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, okay. Um, you know, uh, Michael, that, that was my bus. I got to go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh am, am I off a little bit here? <laughs> so, uh, uh, you know, look, uh, he, yeah, the, the, I, I guess the best thing you can say is that Donald Trump is, is, um, is going to be departing the White House uh, in about a month here, a month and a half. And there's all there's there's basically nothing he can do about it at this point. Uh, well, they can't because I already ordered the, uh, the U-Haul truck. I've actually, I've literally ordered a Utah truck from Capitol Hill U-Haul uh, to go down there if necessary. That is really help. thoughtful of you. That yep. is really kind. You know, this is the way the nuns raised me, and um, you, you know, you have to into you know he's in defeat. We're in victory. We must not gloat, and yeah. we must help him off the wounded battlefield. Yeah, I, but I am so. I mean, the the main thing is, I'm just so psyched to not have to hear about. Are we allowed to curse on your show, by the way? Yes, absolutely. I'm so happy to not have to listen to his bullshit anymore. You know, it's just like, God, I'm sick of it. But you it's know, great. I love how. Have you noticed how? I don't know if you watch Stephen Colbert. He will not say his name since the election. Uh, <laughs> he he, and every time he puts something out on the screen, like from a headline from a paper, it's T. Uh, asterisk, asterisk, he censors asterisk. it. <laughs> yes, and he will not. He'll refer to him as the president, yeah, or POTUS, but he will not. Say, he's gone now two or three weeks without saying the word Trump. I, yeah, I love yeah. it. it. And there is that 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 feeling. I mean, I'm really, I'm kind of overjoyed about that. But uh, you know, a, I'm not like super enthused about about the Biden administration, and B. You and I both know that that Trump will be back in four years, and if not if not him personally, I mean he's getting up there in years. If not him personally, then uh, uh, you know a, a, a Trumpling, <laughs> you know a, a lesser a lesser right. Trump, one of lesser his kids Trump. or one of his mm-hmm. followers, you know, um, you know somebody else will be back. It happened with the Bushes. There was H.W. who seemed to you know have some smarts. Uh, not didn't agree with him, but. And then there was W. It can happen. The yeah. lesser. It is funny how you get nostalgic for those bush. guys. Yeah. No, I'm, not, I'm not nostalgic at all. Uh, not if you know anybody who died in the Iraq war. Uh, I, well, I remember George Bush Sr., who now seems like you know a fairly decent guy. I hated him so much at the time. Yeah. Was I was so yeah. angry at him at the time. Yeah. But uh, yeah. That's what, yeah. That's Anyways, when your movie came out. So, that's when Roger and me came out. I when yes, he was president. He was president, and uh, yes, and uh, <laughs> he actually called me a name uh, 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 after it came out, and uh, and it, they was live. They were live on CNN, so they 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 couldn't believe it. But he <laughs> called me an asshole, and um, it was so didn't sound like him. Yeah, I thought wow. He, he used to have to work hard to sound like a tough guy. Do you remember that? Yeah, like, that's the way he was trying to fake being a tough guy. That Michael Moore, you know, he's like, I'm not even going to give him the credit of trying to. I was, I was looking at some of his speeches the other day because, uh, you know, he comes up in my in my story about populism. People referred to him as a populist. 
his his campaign manager was this guy called Lee Atwater. Do you remember this character? Oh my god! And yeah. Atwater, <laughs> tell the story. <laughs> well, anyhow, Atwater was one of these guys that was always going around, you know, flaunting his knowledge of populism. But what he meant by it was, well, basically the same thing that that Trump is. Well, actually, Atwater was there was a certain uh, forthrightness about him that he would admit things that other Republicans wouldn't. And if you read the sort of campaign documents from that era, he'd say, so populists are, uh, this was his definition, are people who are left on economic issues and conservative on like these sort of culture war issues. And so we can reach out to them with this, you know, like these uh, uh, racial fears and all of this other bullshit that George Bush Sr. did, which nobody remembers anymore, uh, he would eat pork rinds all the time. He would <laughs> he would go know, around the country in, 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 in the company of, of country singers. He toured flag factories. Do you remember this? They built up a whole like culture war, like a teapot in a tempest. They just made it up yes. about the, this non-existent, this fear of flag burners that like flag burners were everywhere in America. And if we didn't stop them, they were going to be, you know, they were going to be uh, burning old glory all over the country. And, <laughs> and yeah, and it was just completely manufactured. They just made it up. And, but anyhow, part of it was Bush going around and trying to talk like a tough guy. Um, God, so, what you're I, saying. So Trump anyhow, is gone. He won, asshole. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for paying back uh, the favor. Um, <laughs> The, but Trump, okay, so Trump's gone. That's the good news. But the the bad news, or maybe hopefully not so good news, or however it turns out to be here, yeah. is that, okay, we, we have elected a, a person who seems like a, at least in his this iteration, his 21st century Joe Biden, a decent person. But what what is it that those of us who are progressives, who care about all these other issues that we've got to to deal with, because I was, t- I was saying to Basil here, our producer, uh, yesterday I was watching the introduction of the economic team, mm-hmm. and uh, Basil said he hadn't seen. It. He said, "Well, so what's your take? What was your take on it?" And I said, "Well, um, it felt like a, ver- a version of the of the doctor's uh, Hippocratic oath: um, uh, first, do no harm. This group will not hurt us. They will not." set out with an agenda of cruelty to hurt people. But, it, but I said, but it really is more like for, with, with the, I thought with the, I think what we're in charge, what we're in store for here with Biden is first do no harm, then do nothing. <laughs> I, I just, yeah. I think yeah, that well, for I us mean, to expect that anything is really fundamentally going to change uh, with our economic system or whatever. But I will say this though, if you, did you watch that yesterday? Um, no. I, I I have to tell you, you know, I live in D.C. and I am so so sick of politics. It goes far beyond Trump. It's just it's just become an utterly boring subject to me. And I, I'm here to tell you. So one of the sort of chapters in my personal disillusionment is when it, it, you know is is when Barack Obama came in as president and was celebrated in 2008 and nine. Right, he got he got elected. There was you know that great moment. Um, Great moment, yeah. And, and and you know, and he had been. I lived in Chicago for a, a, lar- a large part of my life. I lived in Hyde Park, which was his mm-hmm. neighborhood. Mm-hmm. He had been my state senator. 
I had met him at a house party <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and I, you know, and I was, I was, you can imagine how pleased I was that this guy was now elected to be president of the United States. It was, you know, it was a great, great, great moment. Right. And he, he comes to Washington and, um, uh, there is a, the trade-off was almost exactly the same as what's happening now. Remember George Bush, this is George Bush Jr. now, W, had this administration filled with hacks and cronies, and they had uh, they had sort of sabotaged the government in all sorts of ways, and they had been, you know, they had deliberately uh, sort of de-supervised the banks. They, basically, they told all these all these industries like, well, we're not watching anymore. You know, do whatever the hell you want, and as a result, you have this incredible financial catastrophe. And here comes Barack Obama. And I, one of the reasons I was so uh, psyched that he was going to be president is that I knew he would bring in the smartest people in America to run his government. And he did. He had, I mean, for God's sakes, he had the president of Harvard University on his economic team. Remember Larry Summers, right? He has, he has the best and the brightest, no question about it, coming in to advise him. And what do these people do, Michael? Think, think back to those days. Here's a man with the entire world at his back, Barack Obama. Talk about a mandate. Mandate. Mm-hmm. You know, and this guy had it and it was a ama- he could have like done really far reaching things. And instead, he basically, you know, he inherited a uh, uh, this recession, uh, this, this financial catastrophe. And he proceeded to continue what the Bush people had done basically without changing it on uh, at least uh, vis-a-vis the Wall Street banks, which was the main uh, subject at hand at the time. And, you know, it, it was it was an incredible disappointment to me. And this is, by the way, this is where Listen Liberal, this is the genesis of it. I'm like, what the hell happened? You know, how did that go so wrong? Everything that Obama did wound up being a half measure. Uh, or then, you know, then he started basically becoming a Republican himself. And he wanted to, you know, uh, to, to launch an austerity regimen. And it's like, what the hell's going on? I, I, you know, and so I, it, it took me a while to, to understand that. But one of the things is that I, I sort of swore off ever being, you know, really optimistic about a democratic president coming into Washington and doing exactly what Joe Biden is now doing, which is an exact straight up repeat of what Barack Obama did in 2008 and nine, you know, he's bringing in the best and the brightest, all the Washington professionals. You can go back and find like David Brooks uh, op-eds about, about, uh, you know, saluting Barack Obama's team and, and uh, sort of switch some of the names around. And it sounds like exactly what they're saying about Joe Biden and his team. And I absolutely refuse to be drawn in. (laughs) So that was a really long-winded answer, wasn't it? You just asked me a simply like, are, are you paying attention to what's going on? I didn't Tom? expect. I did not expect this answer, but I, I get what you're saying. Is that <laughs> so? You're not. You refuse to uh, take a, a dip in the pool of a false optimism, and um, you are. I'm assuming, uh, and this is the journalist in you. You're going to observe, and then tell us what the hell it is that's going on. Yeah, because but I might uh, wait twenty years first. You know, it's the, oh, I'm, no, really, no, no. I'm really a historian. Is what yeah, I, yeah, yeah I know, I know, I know. That's not a good idea. You can't wait twenty years. The journalism, the writer part of you, um, has to uh, come forward here because I think a lot of us are going to wonder. Well, you know, he puts Janet Yellen as uh, his secretary treasury, and right away she says we're suffering through an American tragedy. Yeah, the, but the she's income, right about that. The I income mean, inequality is immoral. 
And I'm like, wow, okay. Um, what's going to happen now then? What, That's what, actually a really healthy sign that she, did she really say that? I yeah, she that. said, she said, this is an, she, those are exact words. This is an American tragedy. And that, and she started talking about that I come from working class Brooklyn. And, um, and that has never left me. Things that she never could have said as the Fed chair. And I thought, wow, you know, this is kind of, okay, this is maybe my false hope with Biden, but I've seen this over the years when people who are otherwise mediocre for most of their lives try to find the middle of the road and hunker down there. When they get to be 78 or 82, they realize life is coming to an end. And it, you start to think, I think about, well, how will I be remembered? Do I want to be remembered as Crime Bill Joe, 1994 Crime Bill Joe? Or is, is all that time I spend in mass, has some of that made me think about um, this life as it ends? And he's been very honest, too, during the campaigns, and he may only be a one-term president. Yeah. That's why he was trying to be very careful about who he chose, because he was choosing perhaps the next president of the United States, not the, not the vice president, but the next president of right. the United States. And he didn't swing right. He didn't go to Susan Rice. He didn't go to the former uh, police chief of Orlando. Uh, he went with who the right wing will tell you is the most liberal senator in the u.s senate yeah but they they've said they, they said that about john Kerry. they said that about barack obama come on they say that they say that about actually anybody. their voting records if were that's sort of true in that sense that's why obama two years later he the election i think that year was it november november 8th um it couldn't be the first tuesday because they can't do it if the first tuesday is the first According to the Constitution, it has to be the second Tuesday. Anyway, so well, that's what I remember is 31 days later, out rolls Larry Summers, as you mentioned, and Timothy Geithner. Um, not just in, in Summers' case of, of um, uh, Harvard University, but also of Wall Street. Mm-hmm. And I think didn't Geithner, did he work at, at Goldman Sachs? I can't remember. No, he, no, he didn't, but he, he had been the president of the New York Fed. That's it. That's it. So, so th- these were entrenched economic um yes they may have had liberal tendencies but they they were super capitalists and um and so that was you're right that was a huge disappointment in the first month before obama's even but then i went you know and i found out oh jesus number one contributor private contributor was goldman sachs mm-hmm. um so okay i guess this is what we get and um you know and now with biden and listen, people listening to this right now, you know, are like Mike, Tom, please, um, oh, let me have my let me have my little balloon. Don't burst the balloon yet. <laughs> I like my balloon, um, but but we're no help. I'm not going to burst anybody's balloon. Uh, but but uh, you know what 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 I will say is the you know the number one uh, uh, crisis that, that Biden has to deal with is obviously the pandemic and the economic situation that it's that it's yeah. engendered. That's number yeah. one. Number two is, uh, and by the way, I would include in that, you know, uh, in, inequality, but number two is Trumpism. Uh, he has to uh, look, this, this cannot go on this kind of 
constant America constantly being dragged to the right, more to the right, more to the right, more to the right. I I, I wrote about this. I wrote about this in 2004. Yeah. And it was already old at the time. (laughs) You know, it's like, it's got to stop. And how can, how can you say, well, how can one guy change that? And it's actually not that hard if you, you know, if you we're going back to the, the Guardian article that I wrote, because the, the, the fact is that the Democratic Party has had an enormous role in making this gigantic shift to the right in making this thing possible. Yeah, I know it's mainly the Republicans. Ronald Reagan was a Republican. Richard Nixon was a Republican, et cetera, et cetera. Newt Gingrich, George W. Bush. I know that. Bill Clinton. But, Bill Clinton, I think. No, our, no, he was our, a Democrat. No, no. <laughs> I, well, I call. Your, he was on no, our no, side. I, well, he, yes, allegedly. <laughs> but I call him our, he is our greatest Republican president since Abraham. Oh, that, no doubt. If you look at the record, and I'm getting off the subject here, but yeah. if you look at the record, he got uh, Reagan's agenda uh, passed and right. you know enshrined in law much more effectively than Reagan himself did, with a yes. few exceptions. Reagan got the tax cuts, but cl- like NAFTA, Reagan could never get that done. Right? Uh, 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 welfare reform, Republicans could not could not do that. Uh, you know that was just that was you know repealing part of the New Deal. Sorry, Republicans could not do that. Democrats would fight till the end to stop that. It had to be a Democrat that came in and did it by uh, by strategy. You know. I.e. Bill Clinton. But look, to get back to how can a Democrat stop this, you have to realize, first of all, that this great shift to the right, the, 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 the way the road for this shift to the right has been paved by the Democratic Party, by their own sort of change of heart over the last uh, 40 or so years. And this is what this is this, the, the great subject of my last two books of Listen Liberal and The People Know. It's it's what the hell happened with the Democratic Party, which, you know, not all that long ago was a party that was like singularly, singularly identified with the fortunes of working people. You know, this is this is like who they were. I mean, they used euphemisms, right? They'd always say the middle class. Uh, but you go back and look at anything that Lyndon Johnson uttered, you know, or Hubert Humphrey or any of these guys. That's what it was always about. I mean, and within our lifetimes, I mean, you know, within our lifetimes, this was like in the 1970s, this was obvious. Everyone knew that that's what the two, well, that's not who they are anymore. The Democratic Party has been for a long time, has been sort of trying to ditch that old Rooseveltian identity, that old understanding of themselves. And this is, by the way, this is not something that I am like being clever and arguing by, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, a close reading of someone's speech or something like no, that. No, they would agree they, with you. They they're, said it openly. They're proud of it. They're proud of <laughs> yeah. it. They wrote books about it. Yeah. They, they published magazines about it. Uh, you know, there was, there were movements. Uh, they published anthologies. The the third way, there yeah. was a group called the neoliberals. They were all here in Washington, D.C. This is in the- in The, the Democratic in the, Leadership Council. Exactly. And, they, and the Democratic Leadership Council published all kinds of things. And you can go to the library and check them out and read them. And they talked constantly about how the Democratic Party had to get away from the New Deal, had to get away from being identified with unions and with the working class, and had to reach out instead to these new, more enlightened constituencies- uh, that they would, you know, basically they had all these sort of uh, little cute love names for them. They'd call them the learning class or the wired workers, you know, stuff like this. Uh, but, yeah. but, but you know what they mean? They mean uh, uh, white collar, professional managerial right. elite. And they did it. 
And this was this transformation was successful, and it has now borne fruit. I mean, y- you look at the wealthy suburbs of this country, you know, all over the map, and they are flipping to blue. You know, it, it, there's almost none of them left that are Republican. I, I'll give you one example. I mean, there's it, you can read about this in the paper every day. It's 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 extraordinary if you're as old as you and I. I mean, we, you can remember what the Democratic Party used to be. But I grew up in Johnson County, Kansas which is the affluent white collar suburbs of Kansas City, Missouri. It happens to be on the other side of the state line in, in, in the state of Kansas. But it was when I was a kid, the, one of the most Republican places in America. I mean, they went for Goldwater there. They went, they went strongly for Goldwater there. It was that kind of place. You know, everyone was a Republican just as a matter of course. And uh, I mean, and they dominated the state and, you know, they elected every, you know, they, as these kind of places did, they hadn't voted. I, I looked it up. They didn't vote for. They hadn't voted for a Democrat since Woodrow Wilson. So you have to go back to 1916 was the last time they voted for a Democrat in the presidential election, and it was a rural area then, so it doesn't count. Well, they went for Biden. I can't. Be, I couldn't believe it. I actually went out there to see it with my own eyes. But yeah, Biden flipped Johnson County, Kansas, from you know the most Republican place in America to it went blue. Orange County, California, the same thing. All over America, you see this happening. So this strategy, this long-term strategy the Democratic Party has for them, has it, it, they've, they've won. They did it. And now they, they routinely outraise and outspend the Republicans. They raise more from Silicon Valley. They, I mean, who are these fanatical libertarians just 20 years ago. They raise more from Wall Street. <laughs> it's crazy wall street this was the land of reagan you know and uh they they now that they give overwhelmingly to the democrats you go right down the list of industries and the yeah. democrats have them all in their pocket yeah it's a it is what is happening okay so that so you you you, <clears throat> you talk to a democrat about this and they'd be like you know like yeah ring the ring the church bells we win you know look what right. we did look look at what we did but in fact Michael Moore, and here's here's the point where everything turns sour and the balloons burst. Oh, yeah, you know, say it. it Don't be afraid. A, say a, it in a democracy, in a democracy like ours, where you reach out to this 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 elite, very well healed group, and you win them over at the expense of abandoning, you know, working class people as working class people. Democrats still win a lot of working class votes, of course. But they don't, you know, appeal to them as working class people. They appeal to them by other other means. But when you make that shift, you're exchanging a group, a, a really large group, for a much, much, much smaller group. Mm-hmm. And you're also facilitating this eternal shift to the right as the Republicans figure. I mean, the Republicans don't just sit there and, and take it as you steal their demographic. They reach out for other groups. You know, they figure out ways to make the sale. They're dynamic, you know, and in my lifetime, as the Democrats abandoned the white working class and abandoned, you know, the sort of uh, uh, organizations of the working class, Republicans reached out to them and succeeded in winning them over. Right. There used to be a, a saying that the Democrats had in the Clinton era. Um, they would talk about groups like this and they'd say, well, they have nowhere else to go. You know, we can do whatever the hell we want. We can reach out to Wall Street. We can, you know, deregulate the banks. We can do all these things. And 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 don't tell me we're going to lose working class votes. They have nowhere else to go. And this is the genius of 
the, the demented genius of the idiot Donald Trump is that he gave them somewhere else to go, mm. you know, and, and we are going to pay for this and pay for this and pay for this. And the, this is the whole thing that Biden, Biden knows this in what I'm saying right now, Biden knows it's true. Uh, Biden was there when this stuff happened. You know, Biden, I hate to say it, Biden is is like, uh, he signed off on a lot of this stuff. I mean, there was no better friend for no, these banks. Back in the day. Biden. That's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and uh, uh, mm-hmm. Biden knows this is true. And uh, maybe what you were saying before, maybe he understands that. And he, he's, he is realizing that, uh, you know, to have a party of the left, okay, we have a two-party system in this country, Michael, it's basically locked in by law. You can't get out of it. And the party of the left has decided it wants to give up on being a left party in the traditional sense, you know, a party that cares about, about, uh, you know, working class people that cares about, you know, the poor, let's just say it. They don't, they don't want to be that party anymore. Well, what happens when you do that? Uh, well, all sorts of dreadful things, but Biden, it's totally within his power to reverse course on this stuff. Uh, and to win those voters back. And in fact, in some ways, I don't want to no, look, see, I run the risk of being optimistic about him because in some ways he is the right guy to do it for exactly the reasons that you said before. I mean, this is how he was brought up. He knows these people. Mm-hmm. He's friends. He's friends with all these union leaders. You know, mm-hmm. he likes to, he likes to speak in union halls. He likes to tour mm-hmm. factories. He's that yep. kind of guy. Yep. Um, and so it's very possible that he will listen to reason, but um you know, okay, that's as far as I'm going to go. <laughs> that's as far <laughs> into the optimism pool you're willing to dip <laughs> yeah. that foot into. I, look, I'm not, I'm not foolishly, uh, uh, you know, I don't, I'm not, there's not uh, rose colored glasses on my head right now here. I'm just saying, here's, this is how I, I said this too when I, I had um, Cornell West on the, the show. He's one of my heroes. Yes. And um, I said, what are we going to do here? What are we going to do? He said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to vote for Joe Biden, but I will not lie for Joe Biden. I thought, wow. Yeah, he's got he's got a way with words. That guy. Yeah, <laughs> that's the but that's the right thing. And so, I didn't. I never wanted to give anybody false hope about you know by you know of course I vote mean, for Biden. Yes, but but what I did say is this. And sorry for for people for the sports analogy that's coming up here, but I'd rather play on offense than defense. Boy, four more years of defense under Trump. Oh my God, yeah. But if I get to play on the team that's got the ball, and I'm not quite on the team, they really don't want me on the team. <laughs> yeah, you rather, and me both, my yeah, friend. We just warm the bench. You know, bring me some Gatorade, boy. You know, that's uh, that would be our job on that team. But but I'd rather somebody have the ball that I can. Look, if I'm the only open person that can catch the ball, you know, there's a chance he might just throw it to me because they want to get over the, the goal line. And um, and if I get that ball, I'm going to run with it. And getting the ball in this case would be, I think, oh, the way I know this, you're going to, if you want to call me crazy, just say so. I think I can convince them. I, I hear what he's saying. He doesn't want to say Medicare for all. He doesn't like the idea. Fine. Um, I, if I had 15 minutes with them, I just explained, look, you know, Catholic to Catholic here, just tell me you do believe that everybody should be able to go to see a doctor if they get sick, right? Absolutely. He'll say, and you do believe that nobody should lose their home because of a catastrophic illness, correct? Absolutely. Okay. Well then 
those are the underlying principles, which means that everybody is covered and nobody has to reach into their wallet to figure out whether or not they can afford to be healed. If we believe that, then you have to make that happen. And I don't care what you call it. Medicare for all, Medicaid for all, Canada care. Call it Canada. That's what I, being from Michigan, you know, they're just across the river. We look across yeah, the river. Yeah. They're all over there walking around, all healthy, never worrying about going to the doctor. You know, the average Canadian lives four years longer than an American. So they're all over there across the Detroit River, just all smug and happy. And by the way, that's the legacy of populism. I'll tell you the story later, but that's, uh, I, 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 there's a really interesting story behind Canadian. Tell it right now. Okay, but you're about you're about to finish with how no, you're going to no, persuade no, Joe Biden. No, well, I think everybody knows where that sentence is going. Okay, they're, they're okay, okay. No, and the final line I would say to him is, "Call it Biden Care." Yeah, Obama. They got it called. He, somehow he got them to call it Obamacare. He'll deny it, yeah. but they got he got his name on that thing. And you know, you this is Biden Care. What is Biden Care? Anybody ask you what's Biden Care? It means everybody who's sick gets to see a doctor and never have to worry about whether or not they can afford it. That's it. That's it. That's all you want. I know you believe it. You just, you've got to do it. You've got to do it because if it doesn't happen now, it it may not happen in in our lifetime. Certainly won't happen in your lifetime. So, wait, wait, it's the perfect situation to get it done. It's the perfect situation to get it done. And he's got to turn on his magical LBJ properties, his LBJ powers, you know, and go (laughs) go down to the Senate and and talk to the, and you know what? The nurses union he knows this. The nurses union came up with the best idea to pay for it because that's what he was all about with Bernie and Elizabeth during the debates. Yeah, well, how are you going to pay for it? That's going to cost trillions and trillions of dollars, you know. Well, the National Nurses United came up with this genius idea vetted by economists that it's called a penny tax on every trade, every stock that's traded on Wall Street. Every time there's a trade per stock, there's a penny, mm-hmm. a penny. That is taxed, penny tax that goes into the coffers to pay for universal health care, health care for all Americans. And, and they, I mean, you know how many millions of trades there are every day. Oh, so yeah. When I say a penny, people are going, oh, Mike, that's not going to be enough to pay for the MRI. <laughs> no, no, trust me. Trust me. There are yeah. so many millions of shares yeah. every day. If there was just a penny, and you know, the rich, they're going to grumble about it, but they're going to go, Really, this share, you know what, you know what Amazon was trading for today? $1,370. You know, I, I, I checked. I went on, if you've been on CNBC, I've never gone on that channel. Man, that is the wild, wild west of capitalism. I watched them all the time back in the 90s, I, in the bubble days. I wrote a book about it. I, I gave them 15 minutes of my time and I learned a lot. <laughs> One thousand three, one thousand seven hundred for a share. One share, one share of Google, and Google got traded by millions of people today. A penny on that, I think today would have funded at least three months of universal health care in the United States. <laughs> I'm just saying that that Joe Union Joe, you know this. The nurses union did the work for you. They've got the economists to back it up and prove it. Americans will understand this. Understand how are we gonna pay for this? Penny tax. Penny tax. Yeah. Every it's a good idea. Every share so, of stock that's traded. Boom. So okay, here we go on here we go on a on a real tangent. You ready for this? Canadian oh, yeah. healthcare. Where did it come from? So uh, the, my my new book is about it starts with the populist movement, the actual uppercase P populist party, 
which was started in, of all places, that's right, Kansas. The word was coined on, I was able to find the where, where the word itself was made up. It was on a train between Kansas City and Topeka one day in 1891. Anyhow, populism was this kind of radical farmer labor movement, and, um, and uh, it, it didn't last long. Uh, it had a heyday of about seven or eight years, depending on how you count, and and kind of disappeared in America. Although obviously the echoes of it reverberated, you know, on right on down to the present. I mean, the, the sort of populist legacy never left. But uh, a lot of the, uh, weirdly enough, in in the Canadian, the, the sort of plains provinces of Canada. I only learned this after I turned the book in, so I couldn't include it in the book. In the plains provinces of Canada, uh, there were parties really similar to the American populist party used the same rhetoric, mm. uh, you know, had the same slogans, all this, uh, S- and Saskatchewan, them, right? Yes. One of them was in Saskatchewan and it was called the uh, cooperative Commonwealth Federation. And mm-hmm. if you've ever studied populism, uh, the cooperative Commonwealth was their term for the utopia that is to come, right? The cooperative Commonwealth. And, uh, uh so these Canadians were basically direct, a direct offshoot of the American populist party. And one day they come into, they get into power. It's in the 1940s, takes them a long time, but they finally do it. And uh, it, what they are selling turns out to be incredibly popular. And in 19, I think it's 60, they, uh, they run on a campaign of, or th- their platform is that we're going to uh, bring universal health care to Saskatchewan. Is it 60 or 62? One or the other. Anyhow, they win. And they proceed to do it. And uh, they're faced with immediately, this is really interesting, a doctor's strike. Uh, the doctors of Saskatchewan try to pull this Ayn Rand move. Mm, you know, the, the, mm. the rich and powerful will go on strike against the, the, right. the farmers and the workers. <laughs> and and uh, it didn't, you know, it didn't work out. Uh, it turns out universal health care is extremely popular. The doctors uh, going on strike was not. And they got it. And within a very short amount of time, every other province in Canada was copying Saskatchewan's universal health care system. And that's what they have today. It's called Medicare. But I, I was astonished to learn that it was proposed by this group that was basically a descendant of the U.S. Populist Party. I did not know that. And uh, yeah, it's, it's extraordinary. I did not know that the origins of that were in Kansas. I will say, if I can add to your story that um, that group in Saskatchewan was led by a, a member of parliament there. His name was Tommy Douglas. That's right. And and he became known as the father of Canadian healthcare. And a few years ago, the CBC in Canada did a poll. Who, who is the Canadian throughout history that you admire the most? And of course, everybody thought Wayne Gretzky would come in at number one. <laughs> and he did come in at number two. But number one was Tommy Douglas. That's awesome. Because the Canadians know that nothing will happen to them. They won't lose their home. They won't go bankrupt. Yeah. Nothing will happen no matter what kind of sickness they're, they're they They're sitting there looking at us and saying, thank goodness. <laughs> what was the movie of yours where you go over to Canada and you're just like walking into people's homes? They don't lock their doors? Yeah, it wasn't Bowling for Columbine because Canadians do not kill each other the way we kill each other. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's because they're not they're they don't live in fear all the time. They're they don't not live like, in fear and they don't have guns to protect themselves. They have guns to hunt. Yeah. And Canada statistics will tell you there are actually more guns per capita in Canadian homes than in American homes because hunting more than hockey is the number one sport in Canada. Yeah. Yeah. So there are a lot of guns 
There's 7 million guns that are registered in Canada. There's about 10 million, 12 million homes in Canada. Uh, so that's a lot of guns per home, and yet they will not shoot you. And I wanted to test my theory. If I randomly opened, first of all, I believe that most of the doors at seven or eight o'clock at night will be unlocked. And I went in the in the in the <laughs> middle of Midtown Toronto in an urban area, and just randomly, without telling them in advance, opened the door to see if I would be shot. And I I I thought I'm gonna this is gonna be a win win either way. If I don't get shot, that's good. That's a win. And I pr- show Americans how Canadians aren't afraid. If I am shot, well, the box office for that movie is going to be incredible. Um, so <laughs> I'm like, either way, it's a win. So anyways, back to what you were saying, though, about the this populist nature in Canada. They, they were really into making it easier to vote. They wanted votes for women, et cetera, et cetera, extend the franchise. But, uh, but now it's all about uh, doing the opposite. Uh, and, and, you know, uh, and I was going to go on my crazy tangent about people who hate populism, which is, uh, uh, you know, the sort of fascinating aspect of uh, American history that I didn't really know a lot about when I started writing the book. Um, you know, people who hate uh, mass movements of working class people, yeah. uh, meaning the populists, meaning organized labor in the 1930s, meaning Franklin Roosevelt. And nowadays, meaning, uh, you know, I'm really sorry to say this, but there are a lot of liberals out there who really don't like the kind of people that you grew up among. Oh, no, they, they hate them. They hate them They uh, and they treat them uh, like they're just, you know, the working class, like they're just uh, idiots and they're the riffraff and they're this or that. They have no, first of all, when I hear a liberal use the word working class and they start talking about those guys, uh, mm. I correct them and say, you know, this just shows how little you know when you use the word t- word to term working class. Number one, the majority of working class in this country are women. Women are the lowest paid and they make up the bulk of the working class. Number two, people of color are the lowest paid. So the working when you say working class, instead of trying to conjure up that image of lunch bucket Joe, which is still a very big part of the working class, you need to think of a 30-year-old black woman who isn't getting paid very much, who's struggling as a single mom to raise her kids. That's yeah. our working class too. Yeah. And, and you want to avoid that. You don't want to, you don't want to go there, but I'm going to make you go there. And, and Thomas, I got to say, since the election, this attack on progressives, on union people, on all this, this, what is this about? And, and I, especially with people like Neera Tandon, who now, I don't know what to say about this because now they're attacking her for being too liberal, but she's one of the loudest voices <laughs> trying to silence people like you and me and other progressives. But what do we do about the Democratic Party? They think that now that they've got Biden in there, they're going to run the show and that our voices, because aren't we the majority of this country? Don't the majority of Americans believe in a living wage? Yeah, of course. Every poll there's, shows that, right? Oh, there's a whole bunch of things like that. That that what that, else that, that, that are universal? Well, you've been talking about healthcare this whole program, and and you know that's like incredibly popular. Universal healthcare, you know that, right? It, 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 gun control is popular. <laughs> yes, that's right. Like ninety percent wanted Obama's gun control proposal didn't pass. Yeah, but, there's all all sorts of things like that. Uh, you know, how about uh, being able to form an organization to bargain with your boss? That's real popular. Uh, you know, it's still, it's no, fun. it is. How about, you know, uh, 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 a living, you mentioned a living wage, raising the minimum wage. That tends to be real. There's all sorts of things like free that. college. Yep. 
You know, yep, majority yep. of Americans think that's a good idea. Paid family that, leave. That, yeah, yeah. All of these things are good ideas. Yep. And uh, but why are they not going to happen, Mr. Michael Moore? They're not going to happen because, uh, well, because of this this crazy situation that we've been talking about and that I've been writing about all these years, where you have a Democratic Party that is not interested in those things anymore. You know, that doesn't have a lot of sympathy for the uh, working class uh, as working class people. There's not a lot of sympathy for them. Why? Because they didn't go to, you know, they didn't make the grade. They didn't get a gold star from their teacher. They didn't, right. uh, you know, right. they didn't go to the fancy college. Uh, and so they, right. you know, it's, it's very hard for a white collar party, you know, a party that is instinctively white collar in, in, in its reactions to everything it's very difficult for them to sympathize with such people. And, and they've moved slowly, but surely moved away from those people and their issues and their organizations. I mean, slowly, but it's, but it's, it's, it's painfully obvious. Okay. Meanwhile, so, the Republican party, this is just a machine yeah. for, for, for making certain people rich and they will use, I mean, they're absolutely cynical and utterly, uh, you know, there's no barrier that they won't try to cross. You know, there's no, you know, you know who they are. We know who the Republicans yes. are. They will say anything, and they have uh, come up with a with a very effective way of reaching out to these uh, to the, to these people who've been left behind. But it doesn't involve uh, again. It doesn't involve uh, universal health care. It doesn't involve free college. It doesn't involve any of that stuff. It involves we're going to get even with Hollywood. You know, we're yeah. <laughs> or 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 you know the media tells lies. And, you know, and they do there. They're, it's true, but it's like it, it, politicians can't do anything about that. You know, it's just like, I, I'm so, I am so sick of the culture wars and, and it just, it feels like from the vantage point of the last four years, it feels like that's all that Democrats wanted to do. You know, they wanted it to, to, you know, Trump is like a walking, you know, culture war you know, he's like a culture war on two legs. He is the culture wars, you know, he's everything about it. And it's like, they wanted nothing but to just sit around and insult this guy and go after him constantly. And they did. Right. And he deserved it. He's an asshole. He's a fool, you know, but there's more to politics than that, or there ought to be anyways. So what are we going to do? Seriously? I mean, what is the plan here? Because when you like the culture wars, the way I just want to end that is just by just saying to people on the right, look, let's stop this right now. We got so many serious issues. We got to get rid of COVID-19. We've got to get people back to work. We got to open the schools so the parents aren't climbing the walls and the kids can learn something. You know, all those reasons. As far as the culture wars, can we just agree that if you don't believe in abortion, don't have one. If you don't believe in gay marriage, don't get gay married. You'll hate it, by the way. Uh, and number number three. You, you want your gun? Fine. Register it. Prove that you had some training, that you know how to use it, and then keep it locked up so the kids can't get it. End of, end of the culture wars. Right there. Yeah. You know, but what, Thomas, in our remaining minutes here, what what is your thought here about what we're going to do? Because this is the moment, this is the window right now in between election, inauguration, Oh, um, come on now. Stop it. The, it. Because you're asking me to be like all optimistic about Biden. And no, I told you, I'm not, not going to do opposite. that. No, no, no. I think, I think we need that. <laughs> go back to the sports metaphor. We need our team going out there and grabbing the field. Yeah. We, we well, need to, we need can to. I, can I just tell you, Michael, yeah. what, I, what I think? And, and I, you'll probably agree with me, but you might not. So I have spent what? When did I write 
Kansas. That was 15, 16, 16 years ago. I've spent all that time doing what political authors do, which is you present this kind of reasoned argument uh, with evidence, uh, and it's meant to persuade people to change the way they behave, to change how they think about politics. And and why why do we do things like this? First of all, because it's, you know, it's fun and it's interesting and it's a, you know, it's a, it's a, uh, you know, it's a great way to sort of practice intellectualism, but also because things like this have, books have worked in the past. Making arguments has succeeded at, at, at points in the past. But I'm here to tell you that uh, I have completely lost you know my uh confidence is that this is that this is a uh this is a reasonable way to go about it uh and i you know the idea of persuading like th- that story in the guardian that we were talking about that i wrote a few weeks ago the idea of persuading joe biden that he should uh, uh do something differently that he should think about something differently it's just it's not going to happen at least it's not going to happen by 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 via my uh right. pen Okay, so what, so what do we, there's a few hundred thousand people listening to this right now. Okay, so here's what I've learned from writing a book about populism. Populism was a mass movement, okay? We, we don't think very highly of mass movements anymore. Part of being a liberal in America is thinking, oh, you know, mass movements are for the birds. What gets the results is, what gets the goods is is having a whole lot of, uh, of you know, smart guys in D.C. sitting around a big table and coming to a consensus with one another. That's what we think as liberals. And I'm here to tell you that after writing this book and studying populist movements in American history, it just ain't so. The way you change anything in this country, the way you make big changes is mass movements of working class people, of ordinary Americans. Populism was such a move, a movement of farmers predominantly. The labor movement in the 1930s, which just utterly revolutionized this country and made the middle class made the middle-class society that you and I grew up in and which has now been torn to shreds. The civil rights movement in the 1960s, which when Martin Luther King got murdered, was in the process of sort of transitioning into a a movement that was focused on economics and on working-class issues. King talked about it all the time. This is where he was going. And those were powerful movements. They got Some of them got more results than others, but they all achieved enormous things, heroic things. That's how it's done. That's how it's done through, through mass movements. Now I've, I've, I've said that, but how in the world do you build one? Well, <laughs> unfortunately I've spent my life as an author. Now, <laughs> you know, I got to go out and learn a new skill, but that's the next thing. That's what has to happen. By the way, uh, I am an, uh, an admirer of Bernie Sanders. And one of the things that always intrigued me about Sanders, and this is no other Democratic politician, did Sanders always talked about his followers as a movement and the importance of trying to build a movement. Uh, now, you know, it was a movement that was focused on him, uh, which is not optimal. You know, it shouldn't just have this one leader. But that is he had the right idea there. Uh, and I'm I'm very hopeful that something can come out of all this. Well, but that's the way to go, in okay. my opinion. That's where your hope is. Well, let me tell you something. Beginning on May 25th and all through the summer and fall until we got close to the election, there was the largest mass movement in the history of this country in the streets of the United States of America. Millions, millions took to the streets. And I believe, I mean, the, the research hasn't been done on this, but I 
I can show you one one little graph where the Democratic Party was trying to register voters in the first quarter of 2020. And it petered down and petered down to, and it flattened out by March or April. You know, they just weren't having much luck registering any new voters. Beginning on May 26th, there's like a spike that goes up. Yeah. In the last week of May, early June, boom, boom. Red Democratic Party registration up. Young people, people of color, women just shot up. And I think, and I hope Biden understands this. It wasn't Jim Clyburn, largest recipient of pharma money of any member of Congress. It wasn't Jim Clyburn. It were the, it was the African American, the working class, the working people, the students in the streets, night after night after night after night, building this movement, reaching people who'd never been to a demonstration before in their lives. People who had never, white people who'd never say the words Black Lives Matter. Yeah. Now everywhere. And I, I, that, that motored on right to election day. And, and I think white voters who are voting for Trump saw the writing on the wall and they were like, holy shit. And they got their side out. They got their 73 million people out, but it was never enough and it'll never be enough than the, than the 8 million plus. You're, you're, you're exactly right. And the, the, the only reason I didn't mention them in my sort of list of, of, of the great movements is because they, or at least so far, uh, don't have a sort of explicitly economic side to them. Now, right. I, this that, is that just could, the beginning. That can easily change. I agree with you, and so that will change. And and if Biden, if they, if they're coming in here to do the typical moderate centrist Democratic thing, people will not tolerate it. They will not stand for it. Yeah, I won't stand for it. I don't think you'll stand for it. Well, and our yeah, our voices yeah. are going to be heard. We're going to do our work. And 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 just to, I mean, I know we got to close this out here, but you. As I described you at the beginning as a journalist and an author, and I said the word activist, and I thought, oh, don't say that because, you know, these historians, they don't, you know, <laughs> they want to be objective and just kind of, but, but you're a citizen in a democracy. So I never should even have to word, use the word activist. It would be redundant. You can't be anything but an activist if you're, you have to be active. If it's a democracy, if the citizens aren't active, there's no democracy. So, so you, me, people listening to this, what are we going to do to be active? What are we going to do to have that movement or movements being loud and active and and not taking any BS this time? What are we going to do? I mean, we don't have to have the answer to that tonight, you and I, you know, um, but but uh, the window is open. And it, I want to yes, figure and, and this I, out. I'm glad, I'm glad that you were able to to steer this around and end on an optimistic note. Because uh, look, I I, I really optimism, not fake optimism. I yeah, well, eyes are wide open. So you think about it for a second. Black Lives Matter. The slogan itself is one of the most sort of populist kind of things you you can imagine, and it's uh, it's a movement that I you know I I wholly support. The uh, I mean the whole you know you know. Well, you don't I, actually. I've never spoken to you before, so I was about to say you know me, but you don't. But police brutality—that we have never spoken. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> but police brutality is always something that's just been, you know, that's just absolutely abhorrent to me. I mean, one of the ironies—we probably don't want to get into it now. It's highly ironic that in the great year of Black Lives Matter, the Democratic Party chose to, <laughs> to run Joe Biden as their candidate, the author of the crime bill of 1994. Yeah. I mean, that's just—that's like—that's so strange. What a what a 
what a bizarre thing to do. And yet it's somehow Trump wasn't able to, to, uh, to make anything. Well, Trump is just too fucking stupid. You know, he couldn't, and it, he couldn't make anything of it. Can we, now you ended on a positive note. Here's the negative note. The yeah. next Trump, the next Trump isn't going to be as stupid as this one. Oh, that's correct. I mean, you, you just, gonna just imagine that. So you, to, to the Democrats, they have this great mass movement out in the streets. It's not Democrats. It's, it's the, its own movement. That's the great thing about movements. They aren't, you know, they aren't beholden to a political party. And uh, uh, they've got this movement out in the streets and they nominate uh, Joe Biden, who, you know, uh, uh, you know, he wants to be to be elected, but he's he's got this thing in his past that he's sort of responsible for a lot of the very things that these people are protesting against. But you've got this idiot Republican that so that, that like has no politician skills and he can't do anything with that, with that like fundamental glaring red light flashing contradiction. And he can't, he can't figure out what to do with it. And the next Trump will, you know, will, will not be so dumb, you know, won't make that's the kind correct. of mistakes that Trump has that's made. That's correct. And that's why we have to hit the ground running. Exactly. I've, I've told people listening to this show, some of you need to be running for office. Don't leave it up to somebody. Don't think you don't have what it takes to lead, to, to be, to represent the people in your neighborhood, in your city, whatever, that we have to quit waiting around uh, for these nights on white horses, no pun intended, with a white horse. But I mean, we have to really, we've got to get busy, all of us. And that's where my head's at. And I, um, uh, and the optimism is, uh, in, in, and, uh, Joe Biden, if you're listening to this, uh, we need you to be, we need to be, to be Saul on the road to Damascus, knocked off his horse. And when he, and when he came to, realized that by being an enforcer for the empire was not, really the right thing to do. And he, he changed his name to Paul and he decided to live a more decent life and do things that nobody would have ever expected him to do before being knocked off that horse on the road to Damascus. And Joe Biden, that can be you. That can be you. And and they will talk about you a hundred years from now. But that's up to you. We're not going to wait for you to have uh, fall off the horse. You've already uh, uh, fell over from the dog. Uh, so, um, um, you know, as Colbert said the other night, uh, it's the dog that's supposed to go and run and fetch the stick, not you. And now you've got a, a boot on your foot. Uh, so um, I'm going to leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> Good image, though. Um, well, um, you know, we can't wait, though. Do not wait for the Democratic Party to get its shit together. Not going to happen. Do not wait for Joe Biden. He'll either come with us or he won't. But he serves us. We the people. First three American words. We the people. Um, we're, we're the boss. We call the shots. And we better start acting like it. Because believe you me, from Wall Street to um, the quarters of D.C., they think they call the shots and they're going to live their life thinking that, that they're the ones in power. We have to have the power. We have to do it. Thomas Frank, thank you so much uh, for, for helping me sort these thoughts out. And thank you for challenging me. I think this has been a very good um, discussion. Um, let, let me know when you've figured out how an historian uh, becomes one of the leaders 
Oh, come on now. <laughs> of this movement. Uh, no, I'm telling you, your your brain your brain's too big and you've you've got us all thinking years and years ago about what we needed to do. And and um and this new book the people know, by the way, if I had been an editor at the publisher, it would have been the people, question mark. No, <laughs> because that's the way we're treated. No. Yeah, yeah no, exactly. But it's a reference. Their biggest fear, their biggest fear is I, I, But I'm people. being like all literary. It's a Carl Sandburg reference. He, you know, in the thirties, right? The great, the great poet of the, of the common man. He wrote a book called the people. Yes. Yeah, see, I don't know any stuff like that because I didn't go to college. <laughs> I just, I have a high school education. But now that I know that, now I'm going to go read that. You'd Thank like you. it. No, this is why I wish I did. I, did, I wish I had gone to college because I missed reading the great books. And the stuff you hear me spewing out, this is just coming out of my head. Uh, <laughs> but but I have got to go read something. That's beautiful. Okay, Carl Sandburg, um, um, who, who I believe read... A he wrote a, a at, great poem called Chicago. I, I refer yeah. to that in there also. It's one of my very favorites. Yeah. It's a very populist poem. It, it, he was a he was a great, great, great guy. Yeah, uh, great poet and and socialist uh, also. And John F. Kennedy at his inauguration asked him to read a poem at, uh, right. from the from the stage there on the steps of the Capitol. It was a beautiful moment. Thank you for telling me about that. Thank you, uh, Thomas Frank. Uh, we've got to go, but I, I thank everybody who's listening to this. I thank our executive producer, Basil Hamden, our editor, uh, Nick Quaz, uh, and all the others uh, who've helped me uh, put this podcast on here. For We're coming up on a year. December 17th is our big one-year anniversary. So um, uh, let's do the work we have to do. Please share my uh, love letter uh, to the MAGA nation uh, from the last podcast in the hopes of, of getting a few of them just to put a mask on so we can get rid of this uh, virus. And, um, um, and please pick up, uh, uh, Thomas Frank's books. Uh, the people know, um, his classic, uh, what's the matter with Kansas and, uh, listen, liberal, it's meant a lot to me that you've been on this podcast today. So thank you very much, Thomas. Uh, Michael, the pleasure is all mine. All right, everybody. We will see you next time here on rumble with Michael Moore. In the squares of the city, in the shadow of the steeple. Near the relief office, I see my people, and some are grumbling, and all are wondering, if this land's still made for you and me, tell them! Thank you.